DMF. I am your host, Justin Yonts. This is episode 68. And I'm going to be talking a little bit about, you know, just things going on. I'm going to talk about the books I read. I'm going to talk about the film The Little Things. I'm going to talk about the film A Doll's House. I'm going to talk about WandaVision episode 7. Actually, no. Episode 8. Politics. And we're going to end with a quote. So stay tuned. Well, I hope everyone's having a wonderful week. I know I have. Well, trying to. But let's talk about some good news I found out. This relates to film and Marvel. I found out that Spider-Man, the third Spider-Man, is coming to movie theaters this Christmas. So they kind of sped that release up. I'm, I thought we were going to get that film um, uh, next year. But now we're going to see it on, uh, on Christmas Day. And we also got the full title. It is called Spider-Man No Way Home. Which is interesting because the first um, Spider-Man with Tom Holland was called Spider-Man Homecoming. Then we had Spider-Man Far From Home. And now we are Spider-Man No Way Home. Which, I don't know, it gives me a clue that we're going into the multiverse. Which would be really cool. So I'm excited about that. Um, I think we're still getting the Eternals. Um, the director came out and said that this is a big risk for Marvel because it's um, very different. But I think it's going to pay off well. They've got a lot of star power in that film. It will be different. Um, we still haven't gotten a trailer for that. I would like to see at least a trailer. And it looks like we're probably going to get Black Widow in the movie theater. I think they're going to use Black Widow as one of the ways to lure people back into the movie theater. So that should be interesting, to say the least. Um, yeah, so I'm excited. More, more Marvel. And good Marvel. I mean, all the um, Spider-Man movies with Tom Holland have been really good, so I'm excited to see, I'm just kind of excited to see where they go here. We're supposed to get origins of um, a new Big Bad. Um, there's been reportings of Alfred Molina there, so I don't know, it should be really interesting to see. I'm, I'm excited. I, I, I thought we were gonna have to wait to see this film, so. That's about, uh, yeah, nothing else has really been, um, going on. Um, but so let's talk about some of the books that I read. And I read a lot of books this week. I read three. I read The Outsiders, um, by S.E. Hinton. And I'm sure most of you are familiar with The Outsiders. It's really, you know, interesting story about a greaser and, you know, Kind of getting framed and, and going on this journey. Um, this great film also um, by Francis Ford Coppola. 
And it's one of the first films of uh, Tom Cruise. It has Patrick Swayze and a lot of people in it. I recommend uh, watching that film. But the book is really good. It's one of the best um, young adult books you'll find. Um, then I read Oliver Twist by uh, Charles Dickens. What more can be said about that? I mean, you're seeing a, a little orphan boy kind of go through the ringer here until finally, you know, he finds some peace at the end. Um, it's a really cute, heartwarming story. It shows, gives you a lot of empathy for the poor, especially orphans. Especially, you know, a little boy like that, having to go through with that. I mean made me cry so it's a, it's a really good book and then I end with I read The Lord of the Flies by William Golding and I had never read this before um well I kind of had but wow I was just taken back by just how visceral it was especially for a book that's usually um you know looked at as like a young adult book but it's really powerful and it really shows what can happen with you know laws and rules um, Alexa stop um, I have no idea what just happened but um, yeah music just came back on that kind of scared me there. <laughs> that was, um, I might leave this in because it's kind of funny. <laughs> Normally I take this out, but I, I think I'm going to leave that in. Uh, I was talking about the Lord of the Flies, so. But, yeah, I was taken back by just how visceral it was and just how real and how, you know, just... I mean, the ending, wow. I just didn't see that coming. It just shows, you know, the, you know, in some ways it's kind of like the fight club of um, young adult novels. Now, they've had several films of this, but um, it's a great book. All three of these books are great books. Um, go read them. I really enjoy them. I, I was... Um, I was taken back by how much I really enjoyed them. And uh, when we come back, I'm going to talk about the films I watched. So let's start with the little things. I uh, finally got a chance to go and watch this before it uh, leaves HBO Max. And I was not disappointed. I thought this was a great film. I thought it really um, showcased a lot of great acting and a lot of great things in the film. So this is um, a film that took a while to be um, made into a film. Uh, well, let me run down the, um, the people in it. Um, it was directed by John Lee Hancock. The actors in it are Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, Jared Leto, or Jared Leto. I've always said Jared Leto, but 
I don't know. I don't know which is the correct one. And the music was done by Thomas Newman. So let's talk about it. This movie took a while to get made. Um, it was kind of in, um, as they say in the business, uh, development hell for a while there. Um, at one point, um, Spielberg was going to make it. Um, they went through multiple actors, and then finally they decided to make this film. And it's really interesting. It kind of invokes a lot of, when I was watching it, it reminded me a little bit of Seven, um, kind of that mystery element to it. Kind of felt like they were trying to add a lot of David Fincher elements along with, um, I don't know, it had a little bit of L.A. Confidential to me as well. Um, but it's a really interesting film because um, you just don't see it going that way where it goes. I mean, it, it's basically um, Denzel Washington is like a former cop and he teams up to, with uh, Rami Malek who is a detective, and he's going to, they're trying to solve a murder, and they don't know who the murderer is, and like their number one suspect is, ends up being uh, Jared Leto. And it really goes into the question of, you know, do the cops have the right to do this? Are they taking advantage of this? Are they just, you know, trying to get a warrant for, you know, things like that? Um... Denzel is wonderful in it. Uh, Rami Malek shows, you know, more of his range. Um, if you've never seen him, he did Mr. Robot, and he also won an Oscar for um, uh, the Queen movie playing, um, playing Freddie Mercury, which the name escapes me, which will happen when you're Bohemian Rhapsody. There you go. <laughs> escapes me, and then it comes off. But I really enjoyed this um, film with just how, you know, I don't know, they just took everything seriously. It's filmed really well. Um, a lot of great cinematography in there. A lot of great colors. I'm always a big color person, so when I see different colors and stuff, a lot of greens. Um, Denzel's great in this. Uh, Jared Leto's great in it really brings an interesting performance to it. Um, some of the smaller roles are really good. I really don't want to get into spoilers on here. This, the spoilers, I feel like, you know... Well, I think I am going to get into spoilers. <laughs> so let's... let's um, let me talk a little bit about the music. Now, the music is done by uh, Thomas Newman. Now, Thomas Newman has done... Um, he did American Beauty. He came up with that that sound... And he invokes a lot of that sound in this film. I just found what he did to be really um, interesting. It's not a score that's going to hit you over the head. But if you're somebody who enjoys scores and you're listening, you'll notice it. And it's, you know, really, you know, it brings that haunting beauty to it. Which I think when you think of Thomas Newman, that's what he kind of brings to it. I mean, he did Skyfall as well. And Inspector, and he has that you know, interesting, you know, it's subtle, but then it's haunting at the same time. It's hard to really explain um, Thomas Newman's uh, work, but it's interesting stuff, really interesting stuff. I'm, I'm very, um, like that. 
So I'm going to talk about spoilers. I'm going to give you 10 seconds. And I'm warning you, don't, you know, skip over. Skip over a minute or so. I have the timestamp on the video so that you know exactly where spoilers are. Because I, I do want to talk about spoilers here. And that is the birds waking up. I don't think I can do anything about that. So here we go. Okay, that was a little bit over 10 seconds. Um, the ending. Wow. I did not see that coming. I did not see him, Rami Malek, accidentally hitting Jared Leto. And then him being set about, you know, released. And Denzel Washington saving him. And then at the end, he sends him a hair clip to put him out of his misery, to make him stop thinking that, you know, he did the wrong thing. Because the same thing happened to Denzel Washington's character. So they both, you know, it's kind of like he's paying it forward. He's like, I'm not going to let this happen to him. Because I know what he went through in his search for justice. So that was, um, yeah. So that's enough about spoilers. I, I just like that. I really like that ending. I thought it was really, you know, I didn't see that coming. And I should have seen it coming, but, you know, really interesting. Um, let's talk about A Doll's House. Now, my uh, acting coach told me about this, um, told me to watch this. This is A Doll's House from, I believe, 1973. Or no, it's 1981, I believe. No, no, sorry, it's 1973. And uh, this is a film uh, that's directed by Patrick Garland. And this is... Um, it's based off of, you know, Ibsen's play. Um, I think a lot of people have probably seen A Doll's House and know the story. Um, the actors in it are Claire Bloom, Anthony Hopkins, Rafe Richardson, Denom Elliott, Edith Evans, Anna Massey. And the music is done by John Barry. And see, I had never actually read A Doll's House. Now, I'd read a lot of Ibsen, both other Ibsen um place, but I never really sat down and read A Doll's House. I've seen some of the scenes played out in acting class, and I was really, it, wow, just um, really interesting acting that just, um, we call that acting of, you know, you know, status. They keep reclaiming their status. Like one person sits here, and then they try to come up to this point. And that just fighting for status. And it really showcases, you know, the feeling of, of what it was like in that, you know, that Soviet, you know, cold weather world. Where, you know, if you ended up becoming poor, you know, it just was the end of your world. And I think this is some of Anthony Hopkins' best work as an actor. I had never seen him so real and so visceral it's that word again. I keep saying visceral, but it, it, 
that works for this. It's so real. I don't think I can do anything about the birds. I was not expecting the birds to wake up at this point in time. So I apologize for that. I will not do, I will not shoot, I will not uh, record at this time again because of the birds. But I think we're just going to have to bear with it. Um, but Anthony Hopkins, wow. Um, Rafe Richardson, wow. Claire Bloom, wow. I mean, a lot of people think of Anthony Hopkins' greatest role as Hannibal Lecter. I think this is his greatest role in playing Torville. I mean, he was just, the, he has scenes in there. We are just taken back and like, oh, wow. I really felt that. And uh, it's just, um, it's just a haunting portrayal of, you know, of, of a play. And that ending, wow. Whew. So I got to watch it like it was a brand new film. And I was just on the edge of my seat. And I could not, you know, Edith Evans, I mean, all these, like, great actors just really, you know, just one-upping each other. The only thing, the only people that can do that really are, you know, British actors, where they just really own the language. And this is a film, you know, it's a play on language. I mean, when you have really great language and really great writing like that, it's all there for you. And you just got to act. And they just acted. And it was seamless and it was beautiful. And I really can't say enough great things about it. I recommend watching it. It's on YouTube. Go watch it on YouTube. It's free. I watched it. It was great. Now I have YouTube Premium, so I didn't have to watch with commercials. But watch this. Really good film. Um, the music. John Barry. Wow great, you know, John Barry, you know, did a lot of the James Bond films, and they just have that, he's just got that haunting, you know, little melodic notes, it almost feels like a theme, like I planned this with the music, but no, I mean, it really, it really it's that haunting jingle that just, you know, almost looking at a painting, and then you're going in and saying, oh, wow, the family is not normal and happy. They are frustrated. And um, it's rough. And they're not happy. So in some ways I look at this play as like the destruction of the family. You know, the destruction of a marriage. Really good. I don't think you'll ever see a play like that or a film like that again. Certainly a play like that. I mean, this, this play has stood the test of time, and it's because it really deals with real emotional elements. So I recommend watching it. I'm not even going to go into spoilers. It's, it's Ibsen. Go. Go watch it. I'll tell you what. Actually, I am going to go into spoilers. One, two... Okay, you've been warned. I can't do anything about the birds, and it's so frustrating me right now. Oh, hopefully um, the birds won't come in on the thing, but they're pretty loud, and I don't think I can do anything about it. Oh, it's upsetting. But the ending, wow. 
wow, 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 wow. When uh, Torvel, you know, attacks his wife because he thinks his world is over. And Claire Bloom has the realizations like, I can't live here anymore. I've never been happy. I got to leave. And he's like, but you're my wife. You can't leave. He's like, nope, I'm leaving. And I'm leaving the children. And Edith Evans is a character who, you know, is kind of like her destiny of what um, Claire Bloom doesn't want to become. So all these great foreshadowing elements and Rafe Richardson, who's in love with her and comes on to her and reveals that he loves her. Such great scenes. But the scene where, you know, where he thinks his career is over, Anthony Hopkins, Torvo, where he's almost just about ready to pass out, it feels like. And he's clutching his heart like he's gonna, gonna die. I was on the edge of my seat with him. Just great stuff. So that's all I'm going to say about spoilers. Go watch this film, read this play, enjoy it. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about WandaVision. WandaVision, episode eight. Only one more episode. Wow, this was the longest episode, it's 45 minutes, great episode, really sets a lot of things in motions and reveals things that you've been waiting to find out about. So there's no way to talk about this without spoilers, so you have been warned, here come the 10 seconds. Okay, that was a little over 10 seconds. Um, yes, wow. So we got our first, first acknowledgement of the Scarlet Witch. Now, it takes place at the very beginning with um, Agatha being kind of put to death at the gallows in the Salem Witch Trials. And she ends up killing them all and then taking the... Um, mother's um, pendant and we find that that's how and then the next thing we're back to um, her trapping Wanda and she's got Wanda like under a spell and she takes her through her history so we see when Wanda's we see why Wanda's so attached to um, sitcoms and her parents died while she was watching the Dick Van Dyke show they, her parents were murdered and they were trapped in the rubble, her and her brother, for two days. I mean, it's frustrating to me when I see these, you know, the end of the Soviet Union. I, I look, I think of, you know, we could have done more than just let it, you know, plunge into chaos, which it looks like happened. So it's very sad, haunting realization there. And then we see her, you know, volunteering for Hydra. And she's supposed to, you know, she's going to touch the um, the staff, the Mind Stone staff um, from the Avengers film. And she walks in. Instead of killing her, it amplified her power. And we see a figure in that. Now, we don't know. That could be the Scarlet Witch. It could be Mephisto. 
be a lot of things, but that gave her, like, amplified her powers. And then we see her, you know, watching, you know, TV. And then we see her going into, you know, the first time she was with uh, Vision, her brother was dead. She said she had nobody. She was in a strange land. And she's watching uh, Malcolm in the Middle. It's the episode where... Um, Brian Cranston's uh, trying to build a deck and the deck just falls on him and Vision's watching it and he goes, is it funny because he's in, in pain? And he's like, she's like, no, he's not really hurt. It's not that kind of show. And we see like them having a moment together. And if you remember, Vision is the one who rescued Wanda in Age of Ultron when she was just going to die. So he's always loved her in some ways. And we see that kind of blossoming there. And then we see her going to the compound. She wants to bury Vision's body, and she sees Vision's body being torn up and sword. And she goes over to him, you know, and she's like, I can't feel you. Which, if you remember in at the end of um, Infinity War, she's like, I can only, he goes, I can only feel you. And here she's coming to heartbreaking realization she can't feel him. And then she drives off to Westview, New Jersey, and we see a broken town, you know, on the brink of collapse. And she see the house that she they were going to build, the plot of land, and it says to grow old together. And I just broke down crying. It was so sad, realizing that that's what it is. And in that moment, in her grief, she created everything. And she does, you know, she created her Dick Van Dyke world. And she became, you know, him. And she, and she recreated Vision's body. So she never actually took Vision's body. That's just her projection of Vision. And we see that. And then um, Agatha's in the audience. And she's clapping. And she goes out. And we see her and her all her witch regalia, and she's she's got the um, the children with her dark magic, and she says, "Do you even know who you are? Your chaotic map hot magic." And then she says the last thing she says, "You're the Scarlet Witch," and we end. It was like, "Wow, first time we've heard Wanda," you know being called the Scarlet Witch, which we all knew she was the Scarlet Witch, but this is her finding out she's the Scarlet Witch. The first um, utterance of that phrase. And then we got the other cliffhanger, that the um, Hayworth took the body and recreated um, Vision. So we've got, you know, some say the Ultron Avengers, uh, the, the Ultron Vision, as they took some of the power that was um, WandaVision shot at them, and they used it to amplify the old vision. So Hayworth has his own vision. So I think the two visions are going to go to battle next week. Maybe we get Doctor Strange. Maybe we get Mephisto. Who knows? But really interesting stuff. This was a really cool episode that really built a lot of things together, and it takes 45 minutes, but... I think we only have one more episode, and that's coming up, and then we go on to Winter Soldier and Falcon, which should be good, and then uh, Loki, but 
I was really impressed with this um, with this episode. Really good storytelling, heartbreaking stuff, which we all knew that the WandaVision story is a heartbreaking story. It didn't end well for Wanda Maximoff, as she is in a very dark place right now. But we found out she's the Scarlet Witch, so I just thought this was a great episode. A lot of cool... A lot of cool visuals, a lot of cool things happening here and there. So when we come back, I'm going to talk about politics. Okay, so let's talk a little politics here. Still no stimulus checks, and it's March. Now, they have voted on the House. Now, hopefully the Senate. But now the big fight is to keep the minimum wage. And unfortunately, the parliamentarian said that this is that we should take that out. The bird rule, which we never heard the bird rule when we had the tax cuts for Trump. So it's just frustrating that they're going to set on this because the White House can overrule this. And basically what it says is that they don't want to raise the minimum wage. So they're trying to take that out. So progressives are fighting this, and this is the fight to fight. They need to put everything into it. Do not let Biden get away with just not raising the minimum wage, because if we don't do this now, it's not going to get done. And this is something that we promised. Now, they've already backed up on backed off on $2,000 checks. It's now $1,400 checks. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in this bill, but we need to get that. That needs to be fought for. So that, to me, is frustrating, watching them kind of back off on this and watching Biden and Kamala Harris not, not take this, not overrule this. And if Bernie Sanders doesn't fight this, then he has shown once again that he could never be president. Because if he can't do this when he's the head of the budget committee and the Senate, I don't know what else I don't know what else to say. This needs to be fought for. I don't want another bill to vote for. This is the bill. Make them do it. We need to raise the minimum wage in I think in South Carolina it's like two dollars. It's ridiculous. And unfortunately, $15 is not even a living wage for most states. So it's not really what it needs to be. What we need to do is raise the minimum wage to a living wage, which nobody's doing. Now, Mitt Romney and Tom Cotton presented a minimum wage increase of $10 over five years, which is insane. That doesn't do anything. We should just raise the minimum wage now. And people are saying, well, some companies will go out of work or whatever. That's why you raise it to a living wage in all the states. Now they're saying that they might sue the bigger companies for not paying for them. But just put it in the bill. Keep it in there. I hope Pelosi fights for this. I hope they continue to fight for this. Don't just let this go out the window. This is the, this is the fight to have. And I hope we fight for it. And don't just let Biden... In his, you know, in some ways, this to me is a conservative move, and I don't like it. 
we need the $15 minimum wage. There's a lot of great stuff in that COVID bill, but um, I was watching, you know, Bill Maher, and he was talking, he had a, a guest on from the New York Times, and he said the problem with government is when you become in power, there's so many roadblocks that you can't really make any changes. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing here. We're so guarding against doing anything that, you know, the next administration can't do anything. And it's like, if we're not going to let government do anything, then what's the point of electing government? And people just lose faith in it and go, oh, I just don't care about the process at all. So this is the fight to have. I hope my progressive friends and people fight for this because we need the minimum wage and get the stimulus checks out. That needs to happen this month, not next month, this month. People needed that money now. And there's a lot of people like Cory Bush and Rohan who are fighting for that, AOC. We got to fight for this because they're not going to let, they're just going to try and, you know, roll this over the, the rug. And it's like, no, this needs to happen now. And you need to do the minimum wage. You need to put it in that bill and make Republicans vote against it and say to people, we're not going to do it. And why? Oh, we don't know. So it just frustrates me watching this this fight because it's like they don't want to do that. And MSNBC is not talking about it and CNN's not talking about it. They're kind of rolling this under the hood and bring up the Jamal Khashoggi thing, which is important to know now that we know that, you know, MSNBS knew about it, which we all had our suspicions that that's what was going on. But now we have it known. So that's good. But the minimum wage is important. And this needs to change. And Biden needs to be pushed on this. And I'm hoping that this is the fight that we're going to win. Because it, needs to, it needed to be increased in Obama's term, and he didn't do it then. And the next thing he needs to do, he needs to, he needs to legalize marijuana and stop saying, well, we need to do more study. Okay, we need to do study, but it needs to be legalized so people can do it, so we can actually know what's in it. So that's what I've got to say about the Democrats. Now let's talk about the Republicans. CPAC is this weekend, and today Donald Trump is going to give his first speech since leaving office. And I think a lot of us know what he's going to do. He's going to consider call himself the presumptual nominee, and nobody's going to argue with him. And he's going to do that. And they've got this uh, statue called Nebuchadnezzar. And all I can think about is, you know, these are all the Bible people. Um, did they miss the part in the Bible where they said, don't worship a golden calf? Well, that's exactly what you're doing. You're worshiping a golden calf. It's unbelievable that, you know, the people that presume to be Christian and so religious are so quick to jump on a calf. You know, it, 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 it never amazes me that, you know, most of my friends, you know, who are anti-abortion, you find out those are the people that actually had an abortion. Those are the people that have been divorced more times than anything. You know, the people that proclaim all these things and then they do that. It's very hypocritical of that. But, you know, if you're a big Trump fan, I'm sure he's going to come in there and he's going to be firing brimstone and he's going to be yelling at the Democrats and he's going to be upset because, oh yeah, let's talk about that. Uh, his tax, this was a good news, uh, his tax returns have been turned over to the um, 
New York State. The Supreme Court did not rule in his favor, so I'm sure Donald Trump feels like they've betrayed him and that his Supreme Court left him, and I'm sure he's going to talk about that. But you know what? If you have nothing to hide, then you have nothing to hide. But we all know he has tons of stuff to hide, so maybe he'll go to jail and we won't ever have to see him again. But he's going to be making noise. Now, he doesn't have Twitter, so we don't have that instant thing. But, you know, he's going to be giving his giant speech at the CBAC. And we had Josh Hawley and uh, Ted Cruz and all those guys. Give the, and then uh, Mitch McConnell this week said that he would vote for Trump if he was the nominee. I mean, these people are just scandalous. They have no backbone. It doesn't matter what happens. They're going to always take it. Reminds me of Nazi Germany. When you look at those speeches, all you have to do is change the name, Amer make America great to make Germany great, and you can see it. I mean, the, they went from the Weimar Republic to the Third Reich, which is scary. And it could happen here, so we need to always be wary of it. He may be down, but he's not out. And we, need to, we needed to make it so he could never run for office again. But... I don't know, that's not going to happen, I guess. So he's going to be giving his speech. Um, should be interesting what he says. I'm sure he's going to attack everybody that, you know, didn't, you know, wasn't loyal. Mitch McConnell and Nikki Haley. You know, he's going to all attack those people. So, yeah, that's what's uh, going on there. And the Republicans don't want to do, they don't want the Re Democrats to do anything, so they're dragging their feet on that, and it's just upsetting because government needs to be a thing where it helps people, and I say that every week, but I'm going to say it again, government is supposed to help people. Also, we saw this week that there are people out there that actually believe that the snow in Texas was fake snow and government snow. I saw one woman, um, blow drying the snow and saying see it's it, it's not real it's like that is snow what do they do they actually think that there's a satellite up there that controls the weather i mean why would they want to cost billions of dollars in damage if we if we can control the weather we would send um a blizzard to like you know iran <laughs> also we did airstrikes on syria this year this month this week we broke international law. That didn't take long. And that's another thing I'm not happy with Biden. So a lot of things I'm not happy with Biden this week. And it's just getting scraped over the rug because CNN and MSNBC aren't talking. And even Fox News isn't really talking about it. Um, I watched Megyn Kelly. She talked about how the woke culture is out of control. And I agree with her. Um, she said her son was being told to send letters to um, to change the names of the Cleveland Indians. Like, that's not something kids need to be doing. So I agree with her on that. But, uh, yeah, when you've got people who think snow is fake, I don't know what to say. I mean, if we could control the weather, we would probably do it to, you know, North Korea. <laughs> not here. People are so in the conspiracy theory mindset that they think that there is fake snow out there. I just don't know what to say anymore. But hopefully this week will be a better week in politics. Um, I, I'm going to end with a quote. And this is a quote I made. It's something that you probably heard before, but I'm saying it. This is something I came up with. I 
could be somebody might have claimed credit to this, but you know, and if that's true, give them all the credit. But so far, this is mine. Be the best you can be. And what that says is be the best you can be. Do the best you do the best you can do now. Don't wait. Do it. Don't wait to be motivated. Get out there and do it now. If you start doing it now, you'll get motivated. Because you'll be motivated because you are doing it. Use the motivation of doing it to motivate you to continue doing it. And that's what I gotta say. Also, um, I took a course with uh, Michael, Dr. Michael Bruce on Mind Valley. Find that, do that. It changed my sleep. I can't believe how good my sleep is now. And with that, I think we're going to call that an end to this episode. I want to thank you for listening. As always, you can reach me at my handle, at Justin Yoss. And I will see you next time on the DMF.